1, verse number 1. As you're turning there, I'd certainly like to say thank you as well for everybody at, at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. How I appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. Thank you for being so uh, gracious and kind to me in these days. And I'm excited to see what the Lord is doing in this place, continues to do. And, and if I could encourage you just to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be found faithful. You know, of all things that God looks for, it says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What a great thing. To be found trustworthy, faithful, continuing forward for our God. And I, I'm grateful and thankful for your heart, for the word of God and the things of God. And uh, if I could just encourage you to keep on abounding, keep going forward, stepping out by faith. And uh, my, the Lord's got some great days ahead. When that trumpet sounds and Jesus comes, I hope he can find you and me faithful in the service of the King. Thank you again uh, for being so gracious and kind to me in these days. Now you have your Bible to the book of Ruth in chapter number one. Ruth chapter number one, if you joined us this week, I, I, I think you understand, you know there's a lot of great, great stories in the book of Ruth. Of course, there is the story of Elimelech, the man who said, well, I know my name means the Lord Jehovah, the God of Israel is my king. But the truth is his wallet was his king. There, of course, is the story of Orpah who stands at the crossroads. And it's not that Orpah makes the wrong choice, nor is it that Orpah makes the right choice. The problem with double-minded Orpah is it's all the M&Ms or Skittles. She just can't decide. Of course, in the book of Ruth, there is the amazing story of Boaz. What a picture he is of the Lord Jesus Christ. An amazing example of the Son of God. There is, of course, the great story of Mr. Whole Such a One. And the gentleman that, my, it should have been such a different story. But it was his stuff in himself. It got in the way of a life that could have mattered. And then, of course, you can't read the book of Ruth without shaking your head in amazement at Ruth the Moabitess. And God would go to the land of Moab and, and not only save a young lady as she was trusting under the wings of Jehovah, but as she comes to the crossroads of life and why for the ages she shows you and she shows me how to choose this day whom we will serve. There she stands and says, I go where God wants and I live where God wants. His people are my people. God is my God until I die. And for the ages, Ruth shows you and she shows me how to live our lives for the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. It really is an amazing book in the Bible with story after story. But you know, there's one story in the book of Ruth that rises above all the rest of them. There is one story that becomes the theme of the book of Ruth. And, and far and beyond the stories that we read, it is the biggest one of all. So if you're able physically tonight, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. Would it stun you to know that the book of Ruth is really the story of Naomi? Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we open the Bible that you would speak to every heart and every life. And, and Lord, I pray this amazing story in the Word of God would challenge our hearts and change our lives. For someone who has never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the grace of God capture their heart tonight. So we ask you to do great and mighty works in the strong name of Jesus, my Savior, I pray. Amen.
Thank you so much. Please be seated. There are 85 verses in the book of Ruth and 55 of them uh, contain dialogue. Now, I get it. A preacher can stand up here and start quoting out numbers and statistics and that's the fastest road to a nap that you can imagine as a preacher. But you know, that is really a stunning number. And that's why in Old Testament times, New Testament times as well, the book of Ruth was actually a play. They acted it out in four acts. We call it chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and, and of course, chapter four. And the book of Ruth contains dialogue like no other book in the Bible. Well, over half of the verses, you will discover people speaking with each other. 52% of the words in the book of Ruth are dialogue, and, and when you take a close look, it becomes a quite a stunning thing. Uh, of the three prominent characters in the book of Ruth, it is Ruth who speaks less than all the rest. Now, the thing about Ruth is that every time she speaks, it's golden. I mean, every time she speaks, she just knocks it right out of the park. There are some people that don't say a lot, but when they do talk, it's time to listen. And while Ruth certainly doesn't say so much, what she says is beautiful and powerful. But no, most of the conversation in the book of Ruth, it, it is wrapped around two people, Boaz. But even more than Boaz, the prominent speaker in the book of Ruth is Naomi. When we come to Ruth chapter number one, the story begins with Naomi. Quite stunning to tell you the truth. At the end of Ruth in chapter four, the story does not end with Boaz, nor does it end with Ruth, but it ends with Naomi. Because there is a story in the book of Ruth that rises all above all of the rest. And for all of the great lessons and for all of the great pictures and, and for the story of redemption, all the rest of it, there is one thing that comes to the top and you read it in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. It is an absolutely horrible moment in the Bible. Ruth and Naomi have returned to the city of Bethlehem and it says, Ruth 1, 19, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Quite frankly, I'm not certain there's another place in the Bible quite like this. This is the story of a vicious, angry, embittered woman. Finally, after decades of disobeying the Bible, decades of dishonoring God, she finally returns home to the city of Bethlehem. You can see the crowd as they're gathering around, and, and it would appear that Naomi did not age very well. How could she? There she is in a pagan land, and her husband is gone. Her boys are gone. There are no grandsons to carry on the family name. And now the crowd gathers around and, and Yaakov can hear, is that you, Naomi? Under that veil, is that you, Naomi? And, and why she just waits for the crowd to gather and at just the right time with a flair for the dramatic, it would appear that she had a speech first and ready to go. And all of a sudden in Ruth chapter one, she says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi, of course, is a name that means to be sweet and pleasant. 
The name Mara means to be bitter and mean and angry. And Naomi stands before the people and says, My name is changed. I am no longer the sweet, pleasant woman that once lived in this place. But now she said, My life has turned bitter. My life has turned sour. And there is no question as to who Naomi is blaming for the miserable condition of her life. I mean, she launches into a tirade and she launches into an attack against God that you will rarely find anywhere in the Bible. Why, she looks up to heaven and says, it is God that brought me home empty. I left this place full and happy and I come home miserable and empty and it's all God's fault. And I mean, in no uncertain terms, she just lays it out. She attacks the God of heaven with the most cruel and vicious assaults. Naomi stands there and charges God with being a bully. She charges God with being unfair. You know, we have a problem with people that are unjust in our society. But in Old Testament times, one of the great characteristics of God, one of the great Old Testament themes was the fairness of God, was the justice of God. And yet Naomi stands there accusing God of being unjust. She charges God with being cruel. She charges God with unjustly trying her. And then she charges God with afflicting her or harming her. No, she's got the points to the outline laid out. The bullet list is there. God is cruel to me. God is unjust to me. God has gone out of his way to hurt me. One by one, she lays into a vicious, angry assault against Almighty God. Naomi's returned home with God as her personal enemy. So right there in public, right there in the streets of Bethlehem, she launches into a tirade against the God of heaven. That's why all of a sudden, for all the great stories in Ruth, they all stop. This becomes the biggest one of all. Because you see, when you open the Bible, the one thing you have to remember that you don't miss the forest for the trees is that there is one theme of the Bible above every other theme. And certainly you can go to the Word of God and read some marvelous stories, the stories of Abraham, the stories of Moses and Joseph, the stories of Elijah and Samuel and David and Solomon. There, of course, are the stories of John the Baptist and Paul and Peter. One by one, the mighty men of God, the mighty ladies of God, they come to the stage, they live their lives, they give us great examples or perhaps even poor examples. But one by one, those testimonies are laid out. But you know, there was one theme that just makes its way all the way through the corridor of the Bible. There is one theme that ties it all together. And we do well to remind ourselves that this is not the book of Moses. This is not the book of Abraham. This is not the book of Daniel. This is not the book of Isaiah. This is not the book of the Apostle Paul. The Bible is God's story. The Bible is God's book. And so when you come to Ruth chapter 1, and for all the amazing stories in Ruth, when we watch this woman point her finger at heaven and launch into her assault against Almighty God, the most important thing you're going to read in the book of Ruth, you're going to watch God respond to this attack. What is God going to do to this woman? She has just launched into this angry tirade against God. So what is God going to do to her? 
her. Why is God going to open up the ground like he did with the men of Korah and swallow up her into a pit? Why is God going to send fire and brimstone all the way from the Lord from heaven down on her like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is the Lord going to judge her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet? She has just launched to an assault against the very character of God. And what is God going to do? You know, we would do well to stop and just take a look at Naomi and and we could well say, excuse me, madam, your life is a miserable mess, but it's not God's fault. For 20 years plus, she has made it the habit of her life to disobey the Bible every step of the way. And, and I know sometimes we read a verse there, we catch a phrase there. But when you put it all together, and it's why when I study the Bible, I like to make lists. When you put it all together, the biography of Naomi is not a very impressive thing. Let me give it to you. It starts out in Ruth chapter 1 with Naomi and her husband abandoning their homeland of Bethlehem because there is a famine in the land. They are violating the word of God. Their husband and Naomi willfully disobey the clear command of the Bible and they go to the land of Moab. When her husband dies, one more time, Naomi willfully disobeys the word of God and her husband is buried in the pagan sands of Moab. One more time, Naomi willfully disobeys the Bible and she allows her sons to marry pagan girls. Then Naomi spends 10 more years in the land of Moab. Every one of those days, she is disobeying the command of the Bible. When Naomi finally decides to return home to Bethlehem, Judah, it is not because her heart is convicted. It is not because there's revival. She finally returns home because the famine is over in the land. Naomi tries to send her daughter-in-laws back to the pagan gods and idols of Moab. Perhaps the greatest sin that she commits, she doesn't do it once, she does it twice. She blasphemes the name of God. She does it in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where not once but twice she actually invokes the name of Jehovah and telling her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to go back to the pagan idol Chemosh and bow their knee. When Ruth will not go, Naomi exerts great pressure to force Ruth back. Naomi won't even speak to Ruth after Ruth says, my life for the will of God. And one of the most stunning moments of the Bible, instead of encouraging Ruth, why Naomi won't even talk to her. Naomi allows bitterness and anger to consume her life. Naomi blasphemes God with wicked charges. And that's only Ruth chapter 1. By the time you get to Ruth chapter number 2, you watch Naomi tell Ruth to go glean all by herself in the or time violating the word of God. She sends Ruth to the harvest field and she does so without a word of warning. Later in the chapter, we realize Ruth was in a very, very dangerous thing, place. Ruth to provide for her, even though when you come to the end of the story, you realize the little secret that there weren't one, there were two kinsmen redeemers in the city. Naomi in chapter 3 sends Ruth to seduce Boaz. Then Naomi advises Ruth not once, not twice, but really five times to behave like a harlot. 
And you watch this woman consistently over the course of decades say my way and not God's way, my word and not God's word. She has violated command after command after command in the Bible. And now all of a sudden the wheels have come off and she has the audacity to look up to heaven and say my life is a miserable mess and it's all God's fault. And I look at Naomi and shake my head and say, what is it with her? I mean, everywhere you go, she is flaunting the word of God. My will, not God's will. And now when it all comes apart, she stands here in the public place of Bethlehem, looking up to heaven and saying, it is God that has ruined my life. Not one time does she take responsibility for the choices that she made. I got to tell you, I'm looking at this woman thinking, Naomi, man. She is just so much like me. I mean, can't we see ourselves in that lady? Like the Bible tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The world calls it doing our own thing. And thank you, God says, thou shalt not, but we just decide, I think I will anyhow. And then God says, thou shalt, and we pretty much say, no thanks. It's my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know, of all the things this wicked world does, I, I can't help but think perhaps the most evil is that when something horrific takes place, you know, it might be an accident, perhaps or a tragedy we read about this week in Mexico. I, it could be another occasion. It could be some little one who gets struck with cancer. Uh, it could be an accident. It could be something falling apart. And, and all of a sudden, humans that blaspheme the name of God, that use the name of Jesus in vain, uh, that throw God out of our classrooms, out of our schoolrooms, out of our cor uh, courts, throw God right out of the living rooms. We have tossed God out of every single part of our life. When all of a sudden things go wrong, these same humans want to say, where is God in all of this? What a wicked assault. What a wicked charge. A woman constantly disobeys the Bible again and again. And now she's going to stand there in the public square and blame God for her miserable life. So what is God going to do? I mean, is there a lightning bolt that's ready to come down from heaven and teach her a thing or two? I mean, is God going to take the wrath on, that, that deservedly abides on all of us and, and toss her into the lake of fire and brimstone for all of eternity? How the ears of God must sting. In chapter 1, verse 20, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty have dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi has just dragged Almighty God into the courtroom of public opinion. She has laid out her charges against Almighty God. God is a bully. God is unfair. God is cruel. God is unjust. And God is hurting me. And so the book of Ruth is the story of God responding to Naomi. What is he going to do to a wicked sinner like this? The first thing he does is found in chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, She, that's referring to Ruth, gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and what do you know, it was an ephah. An ephah would be about 30 to 50 pounds of barley. 
And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. You remember the first part of this chapter, Ruth's walking out of the house that morning saying, Lord, I am hungry. My mother-in-law is hungry. I don't know where the next meal is coming from. My do I ever need grace. And of course, God had a whole lot more in store for her than just grace. But you know, when the day was done, she's coming home with enough barley, not for dinner that night. She's coming home with enough barley for the next five days, five times the day we need. I mean, it was a stunning thing. No doubt when she's walking out of the house that morning and bittered, angry, Naomi's got to be thinking, where's the meal coming from? This bitter God, this God who's so cruel to me. How is God going to respond to this Naomi? Well, the Bible tells us he gave her five times what she needed to eat. In other words, to the bitter, angry charges of Ruth chapter 1, you might say in chapter 2, God so loved Naomi that he gave. He's not done. Look, if you would, to chapter 3, verse number 17. And she said, Ruth again, these six measures, probably six big scoops of barley, gave he me. For he said to me, go not empty under thy mother-in-law. Well, what do you know? In chapter 2, he gave five times the need. Now the Bible tells us, and nobody really knows for sure what those scoops were. But it would appear, you could probably correctly say, that in chapter 3, verse 17, that to this woman who assaults God, to this woman who launches into the attack against God, you might just say God gave exceeding abundantly above all she could ask or think. I mean, she stands there in Ruth chapter 1. God is so cruel and vicious and mean to me for all the sin in her life and for all that she had done. And now we watch heaven open up the spigot and God comes to this embittered, angry woman and he gives. And then in the next chapter he gives and he gives. But you know, all chapter 2 and all chapter 3 are, they're just the warm-up for the grand conclusion. And when you get to Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13, well, you might say it's Christmas morning. The Bible says Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went under, the Lord gave her conception and bare a son. And all of a sudden, in verse number 14, a most unusual thing is going to happen. I mean, this is just an incredible thing taking place because Mr. Boaz and Mr. Ruth are nowhere to be found the rest of this chapter. And all of a sudden, coming front and center is Grandma. Naomi, notice what the Bible says, verse 14. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of life, a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. You understand, in chapter 2, God met the need five times over. In chapter 3, God met the need exceedingly abundantly. All that she could ask her think but now we come to Ruth chapter 4 and it's Christmas morning and one by one Ruth is going to rip the, uh, the cover off the packages one by one uh, this woman I should say Naomi is going to open up the treasures and the gifts that God has given her you talk about a God who so loves that he gives look at the gifts look at the gifts number one God gave her a miracle grandson from a very old man a 110 year old man named Boaz now here comes a precious little 
baby. Little Obed is born. It's a miracle like Abraham and Sarah. It's a miracle like Zacharias and Anna. It's an incredible moment in the Word of God. The Bible tells us that God gives a miracle grandbaby. What never could have happened all of a sudden happens. And to this woman who in chapter 1 is pointing her finger at heaven, blaming God for all the misery and all the heartache. Hey, well, we could raise our hand and ask the question, uh, excuse me, madam, but what are you holding in your hands? A miracle grandbaby, a gift from Almighty God. She's just starting. Notice the Bible tells us that God gave her, look at it carefully, a kinsman redeemer. Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee, Naomi, thee, Naomi, this day without a kinsman. They ask most people, who's the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth? Everybody says, that's easy. Oh, ads. that's only half the answer. There are two kinsmen redeemers in the book of Ruth. Certainly for that widow Ruth, the one kinsman redeemer was named Boaz. But you know, the Bible says there's a kinsman redeemer for Naomi as well. It was that little baby Obed. And the Bible tells us God has not left you without a redeemer either. By this time, it's believed that Boaz probably was dead. And so here is this woman, Naomi, thinking, well, Ruth's got this wonderful husband and God took care of Ruth and God raised up family seed to her and God's taken care of her financially. But wait a minute, God says, I'm taking care of you too, Naomi. There is a redeemer for Ruth. There is a redeemer named Obed for Naomi. It is Christmas morning. She's opening up the presents. There's a miracle grand baby. Then God gives her a kinsman redeemer. Now the Bible tells us the Lord made her name famous. Famous. The Naomi family is famous in the book of Ruth. The Naomi family is famous in the lineage to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, 3,300 years later, we're still talking about this family. The Bible tells us God's giving her and giving her exceeding abundantly what she could ever dream of. Notice the Bible says, he shall be unto thee a restorer of life. You go to chapter 1, there is death everywhere you look. For Naomi, it is the death of her husband, the death of her son, the death of her son, the death of her family. There is death everywhere you go. And now she returns to Bethlehem, bitter and angry and nasty, about ready to, it would seem at least, to die herself. And yet when it looks like she is going to die, an old lonely woman, the Bible tells us that God's given her a restorer of life. Hey, it's kind of like a grandfather. I'm not mentioning any names tonight. Put a little baby in granddaddy's arms, and it's amazing. It's amazing how the mean old guy becomes a real sweet guy, doesn't he? And I've seen that a couple times this week around this place. Hey, it's a special thing. You take somebody that's old and tired and weary and worn out, put a little baby in their arms. It's amazing how all the aches and pains fly away. A restorer of life from death everywhere you look. Now Naomi has something to live for. How about this? The Bible says God gave her somebody that would care for her in her old age. Hey, it says literally he'll sustain your gray hair. You know, back in chapter one, she says there's nobody to care for me. I'm a widow and I'm going home to die. I don't even know where the next meal is coming from. No to help me, no husband to help me. And little could she imagine her two daughter-in-laws had been married to her boys for 20 years and now there were zero grandchildren, zero. Nobody to carry on the family line. She's got to be thinking when I get old nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to care for me. But the Bible tells us God gave her a baby that would grow up at just the right time 
to care for her at just the right season of life. I mean, to tell you, God's given her again and again and again. And I don't know how you do it on Christmas morning, but I think most people save the best for last. Well, if she's on happen presents, she certainly got the best one for last, doesn't she? The Lord gave her a daughter-in-law. No, no, the Lord gave her a Moabitess daughter-in-law. And the Word of God says she than seven sons. In Old Testament days, seven sons was thought to be the perfect family. You had seven sons. You had a perfect home. Well, what do you know? The Bible tells us that one Ruth was better than seven sons. I mean, to tell you, the whole city, you know, it's that drumbeat in the background, isn't it? You read the book of Ruth, and we're constantly reminded of Moabitess. We don't like Moabitesses. We don't want Moabitesses. We don't care for Moabitesses around here. They're our mortal enemies. And yet you come to the end of the book, and it just seems like everybody in the city wishes they had a daughter-in-law that was a Moabitess. Better than seven sons. Better than seven sons. I mean, this woman launches into attack. God hates me. God wants me dead. God is cruel to me. My life has fallen apart, and it's all God's fault. You and I can take a step back and say, but Naomi, again and again and again, we watch you violate the Word of God. What do you think's going to happen? A man's going to sow what he reads. We watch her violate the Word of God, and yet with no responsibility, she blames God for his miserable condition. And when God would well be in his rights to send the wrath of God cascading from heaven right on that woman, instead we watch him give, and then he gives again, and then he gives a little grandson that is the most special thing she could imagine. God gives her a daughter-in-law from Moab that's better than seven sons. And it's a stunning story of God giving and giving and giving again. But you know, God's not done in verse number 16. You probably read this verse and said, this is a little strange. And, and you know, sometimes we do that and we never kind of put the brakes on a little bit. And, and you get to a, a story like Ruth, there's so much good stuff here, you know, that, that when you get to the end, you're thinking, wow, I, I mean, how much more can this old heart take? And, and yet it is a stunning thing. And you might have read this and questioned this and thought about this. And what is this? It says, Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. This is stunning, isn't it? It? Because from here on out, it is going to be as if Naomi had the child. Now, wait a minute. This is about Ruth and Boaz having a child. Of course it is. But the Bible says Boaz is out of the picture. Ruth is out of the picture. And this book is written not as if Naomi is the grandmother. It is written as if Naomi is the mother. Naomi takes the child. Naomi nurses the child. In verse 17, the women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, there was a son, and this is incredibly unusual, there was a son born to Naomi. No, uh, the son was born to Boaz, or best, the son was born to Ruth. But no, the neighbors started to sing, there was a son that is born to Naomi. It's one of the strangest birth announcements in the Bible. But no, they are singing in the streets of Jerusalem that God has taken that bitter, angry, angry woman, and God has taken that woman so upset and God has taken a woman whose life is unraveled and fallen apart. God has taken that woman and shown amazing compassion, amazing grace, the amazing love of God. And when you come to the end of the book, it's not even Ruth's baby, it's Naomi's baby. We are reminded of a God that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives again. See, when we come to the book of Ruth and, and we get done, we're usually walking away humming, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Certainly that would have been Ruth's song. 
But the truth is, when you go to the book of Ruth, there's a story that rises even higher. It is the story of a human launching into an attack against God, despite the choices of rebellion and sin in life. She is blaming God for her miserable condition. And God responds with grace. So when you open the book of Ruth and you're tempted to break out into redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, well, that's a great thing. But, but when you're done singing that, probably a good time to start singing grace, grace, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. It's a great time to remind ourselves that the story of Ruth is a story of redemption, but the bigger story is the story of the grace of God upon a woman who didn't deserve it. You know, we can't read the book of Ruth without shaking our head saying, wow, if God could show such grace to such an angry, embittered woman, well, multiply that by 10,000 and we still don't have the right picture of the cross, do we? Because while most people know, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, or most people could tell you, you know, one day I saw a movie on TV kind of describe that, or or some religions still have a, a cross with Jesus hanging on it. That's a problem. But, but you know, while people know about the cross and they know about Jesus, the truth is what they miss is why he was on that cross. See, the Bible tells us Christ died for our sins. The Bible says God commended old word that means he proved, he showed his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, if somehow you and I were perfect and sinless, if somehow you and I honored God every day of our life, if Jesus would die for us, that would be an amazing thing. But the incredible thing of the Bible is not that Jesus died for the very religious or that Jesus died for the very holy. The amazing thing of the Bible is that Jesus Christ died for a sinner like me. The only hope for somebody going to heaven is to take a look at the mirror of the Bible. And while we are so tempted to blame our husband, to blame our wife, to blame the kids, to blame the family dog, we are so tempted to blame Washington. We're tempted to blame the politicians and the governor. We want to blame everybody and everything. And ultimately, we want to point a finger at God and blame him. The truth of the matter is, all have sinned. Well, that's you and that's me. It is our personal choice. God said, thou shalt, and we say, I don't think so. God said, thou shalt not, and we say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then we watch human lives fall apart. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. God very clearly promised that when people reject me and reject my ways and they live in sin, that that is going to produce things in their life. It's going to produce things in their home. It's going to produce things in the society that are destructive. And yet humans say we know more than God and we're going to do it our way. And then when the wheels come off, they want to shake a fist in heaven and blame God. So how does God deal with that? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before. Her sure is as dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Buried in the ground, he rose again. And when humans are shaking their fist at God by what they do, by what they say, by how they behave, they are flaunting themselves at God, blaming God for the misery of their life. God responds 
with grace and love and compassion that is so deep and so profound. He gave his son to die for our sins. What are you going to do with the grace of God? All of a sudden, what is Naomi going to do confronted by the amazing love and compassion of God? What are you going to, I going to do confronted by the grace of God that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody can walk out the building and say, thank you, but no thank you. This is my life and I live like I want, go where I want. And one day when a man dies without Christ, saying my way and not God's way to be cast in a lake of fire for all of eternity is more than right for somebody who could reject the amazing love of God. Somebody else might walk out the door and say, I, I'm thankfully died for me, just not today. Somebody else could walk out and say, you know, I know that's something I need to get settled, but just not now. Someone else could bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and could let their heart be captured by the amazing love of God and say, if Jesus could love me and die for me, then I want him as my Savior. But you know, the grace of God and the incredible mercy of God is extended. But there comes a time when that grace stops and the mercy stops because someone has died in their sins. It's the reason the Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It's the reason the Bible warns us, boast not thyself of tomorrow. It's why every time your pastor preaches, he's always given an invitation. Why? Because today is the day to be saved. Somebody could walk out that door. Oh, somebody could curse God. Somebody could blaspheme God. Somebody could just put God aside and say, not today. But the end result is the lake of fire. That's why we plead with you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to let the grace of God capture your heart. What a wonderful night to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Because when that woman launches into her attack against God, God gives us a picture of Calvary. He gives and he gives and he gives and he doesn't stop giving. But for you and for me, he so loved the world. <laughs> he didn't give barley. He didn't give scoops of barley. He didn't give a son. He gave his only begotten son. See your Savior tonight. Many years ago, a woman, a beloved woman named Fanny Crosby had desperate need. We're back in the 1800s now, and, and she needed $5. You know, to us, that would be nothing. To her, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was something, and, and, and a little tougher than it would be today. But if you need it and you don't have it, I mean, it may as well have been a million dollars. Fanny Crosby just bowed her head and said, Lord, I, there's a need right here and right now, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to ask you to take care of it and trust you for it. And as soon as she was done praying, there was a knock on the door. A gentleman she had never met before would never meet again handed her an envelope, and of course, in the envelope was $5. Fanny Crosby was so thankful for what God had done, but more than being thankful for the money, she was thankful for the God that, that showed one more time how much he loved Fanny. Crosby, the God who loved Naomi, the God who loves you and me. So she took her pen and her paper, and as she was wont to do, she started writing some words, and you and I still love them more than a century later. All the way my sin me, what have I to ask besides? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, oh the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When the spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages 
Jesus led me all the way. Tonight, if somehow my brother could bring back through time and eternity Ruth and, and invite her to stand in this place and give her testimony, I'm quite certain that when that Moabitess is done with her story, with a smile on her face, she would have to say something like this, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. From the moment in Moab I came to trust under the wings of my Savior to the day I stood at the crossroads and said my life for the will of God to that morning when I walked out saying, is there anybody in the world that will show me grace to the day that God took care of me and gave me that little son to the day my great-grandson would battle Goliath to the day my greater-grandson would die on the cross. If Ruth could stand here tonight with a smile on her face, she would say this my song through endless ages. Looking back, I know Jesus led me all the way. But you know, if he could find a way to bring Naomi back through time and eternity, she would certainly have a different story to tell. I don't suppose she could get her testimony started before the tears would flow and she'd say, I'm so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. I violated the Bible. I did this my way. And when the wheels came off, I thought that I could point my finger and publicly, and there it is in the eternal words of God. I blamed God. I accused God. And then with the tears streaming down her face, she would tell us how God just kept giving and God just kept giving and the grace of God kept on going. And you know, if Naomi could stand here, I'm quite certain with a smile on her face, She'd put it like this. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Because when it's all said and done and you come to the end of Ruth, there is a theme of the book of Ruth. Oh, God is the great redeemer. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to bring us back from death and hell and destruction. But even the greater theme is that God would have grace on a sinner like me. You know him as your Savior tonight. And you know, there are many reasons this week, I guess you could say, we've given from the book of Ruth why a child of God ought to get on their knees and say, I'll go where God wants and I'll live where God wants. I will be God's child. I will let him be my God and his people are my people until I die. I think we've been able to give you a good dozen reasons or so why somebody ought to make that the story of their life. But there is one reason above every other reason. God so loved, he gave. And if that's not enough for you and for me to say my life for the will of God, then there really isn't one, is there? Father in heaven, would you help us now from the word of God? And, and I pray that you would deal in the hearts of your children. For someone who has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ,